Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. This podcast is for data enthusiasts, data scientists, and data science leaders to learn the skills required to take your career to the next level. And you can hear and learn these skills directly from current industry leaders. They tell us their stories, their struggles, their challenges, and their successes, and give us the pointers on what it takes to get to that level. My name is Felipe Flores, and I am your host. Today, we'll have a special episode where we'll go through episodes released in the first season, so during 2018, and we'll briefly talk about some of the learnings that I got from each of the episodes and speaking to each of the leaders. And we'll also do a look forward into what's coming up in 2019. So I hope you enjoy it. At first, I'd like to cover some of the feedback, actually, that we've been getting uh, on the podcast or about the podcast so far. And the main and most consistent feedback received to date, there's probably four or five points. The first one, there's been a little comment about the sound quality on the podcast, especially the one on the early days. That one is definitely one that we're working on and uh, I'm totally by fault. Originally, the podcast started just as an experiment, a hobby, something to do as we traveled. So I spent about five months overseas in 2018. And during that time, I was interviewing data science leaders in the countries that we were visiting. Some of those were in noisy places. And then there were noisy places. We had bad equipment and terrible sound editing, which was at the time done by myself. Now we're, we're improving. So we're getting better quality equipment. We're recording in better locations or online. We started to hire people to do the sound editing. We haven't stopped yet. The sound quality will continue to improve. So thank you for letting me know about that point. Second one, or another one of the most common ones, was that the intros at the beginning were too long. So for this year, I'll make them shorter, and we won't probably have the pre-recorded intro. The standard opening segment that every episode had will probably go straight to a custom intro for the episode, which will be shorter, and then we'll continue. Another really common point was that some people find that the interviews are too long couple of things I'd like to say about that. One of them is the long form of the interviews serve a purpose of getting people comfortable and relaxed to start to essentially talk more. The idea is that we have time to dive into lots of different topics in each episode and that by that we cover a lot of ground and hopefully give you a lot of value. Obviously, this does take time, but as a listener, you can actually speed up the podcast So on most podcast listening apps, you can listen to the podcast at 1.2 speed, 1.5 speed, two times speed. In some cases, like on Spotify and a couple others, you can go even higher than two speed. So hopefully that means that you're getting the same amount of value in half the time, a much better ratio. Please have a look at the different apps and the speed increases that each offer. And hopefully that helps you get through the podcasts in a lot less time and makes it more enjoyable and more valuable in terms of bang for buck for you, for the listeners. That takes me to another point that I've heard a lot from a lot of people that still seem to be listening to the podcast on the website on datafuturology.com. So there with the show notes, we put a link to Anchor and we put a little player for of the episode. And a lot of people are listening through that. Obviously, very, very happy to have the listeners, but you could make it easier and have a better experience, I think, if you use one of the podcasting apps. 
So Data Futurology is on about maybe 15 different podcasting apps that you can use on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. Those are the ones that help you download episodes. So then you don't have to be connected to the internet to listen. And you can speed up the play, the speed at which you listen. And you can move forwards and backwards in time while you're listening, essentially being able to fast forward or rewind the episode. So those are three things that the functionality on the website doesn't let you do, but you can do with the podcasting apps. Some of those apps are, you know, it's on Apple Podcasts. So for all the people that have iPhones or iPads, you can listen on the native app. The podcast is on Spotify, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Those are the main ones, the main apps from where we get listeners. Some of the others are Pocket Casts, Overcast, Breaker, TuneIn, CastBox, Podbean, Radio Public, all apps where you can listen to the podcast. And then we also have an RSS feed, which is on the homepage of the website, an RSS feed to which you can connect any podcasting app that you want. And for example, in my case, I have an Android phone and I use an app called Podcast Addict. I find that that app is, is really great for the way that I like to listen to podcasts and it automatically downloads the new episodes or the podcasts that I follow. And I can set one speed that I listen to all the podcasts on. In my case, I use 1.6 times speed and, and it creates a playlist of all the new episodes as they come up. You can also do that on your Android device, getting a podcast, the Data Futurology podcast RSS link on the homepage. And probably the last point that I will mention is that a lot of people have sent me feedback and messages saying that they would like to hear a bit more from me, either to make the interviews more of a fireside chat, where the fireside chat style is more of a two-way conversation where people are both contributing to the topic and throwing ideas around. The other request has been to uh, for me to create more content instead of only doing the interviews. So I'll look to experiment with those two this year. Probably I'll do the second one first in terms of doing more content content myself. The fireside chats, I've had still having a think about it actually. So it's definitely something that I will try and I will see how it works. As for some people, I like giving them the space for them to fledge their answers and give us their story and tell us everything that they want to share with us. And I know that for other guests, there come in wanting more of a two-way dialogue and in those cases I'll definitely step in a bit more but in general I don't want it to throw my ideas in too much. I started this as a podcast to link the data enthusiasts, data scientists and data science leaders with the executives and the top industry leaders today to hear lots of examples of stories of that got to that level and operate at that level. What are they like? What are their stories like? What experience did they get? How did they get there? And I will continue to do so. I wanted to give you those stories and those insights unadulterated just straight from the experts' mouths and with without some of my thoughts or biases or opinions. Anyway, in short, I'll continue to do the interviews, pick the occasions in which I throw my two cents in and my thoughts, but I will start to create a bit more content that will be additional to the interviews. And then you can hear more about my journey, my learnings, my point of view, alongside with all uh, the great guests that we're getting. And I should tell you that early this year, we have one of our popular past guests 
is going to come back on the show and he's going to interview me. So we're going to flip the interview. And it was so funny that when that first came about, as in we first offered and said that he wanted to do this, I actually got quite nervous. I suddenly thought, oh, damn, like, no, I'm going to be doing the interview. What am I going to say? But it's something that I've put people through every week. So it'll be interesting to see the, the flip side of that and looking forward to it. But thank you everyone who reached out and has reached out with your feedback, be it positive, negative. I definitely welcome it all. And as I said before, these sort of four or five topics are the ones that kept coming up time and time again. So we'll definitely take these on board and look to improve the podcast as a result and make it ideally more of what you want to listen, more of what you want to hear as you go through your journey in data science. So definitely the objective here is to create a podcast that adds value to your career, that helps you make the tough decisions often that you need to take as you go through your career, as you develop yourself into the professional that you want to be, having examples from lots of other people and hearing their successes and their challenges along the way, hopefully gives you not only the perspective to make these decisions, but also a bit of, ideally, a bit of emotional support in terms of seeing that some very successful people, they've had periods of their career where they've really stuffed up and they made huge mistakes or they didn't know what to do, that they had to really push themselves to get through their tough times and the tough times don't last and that they've come through those periods and we all face those challenges in our career so if this podcast can help you through that time as I said getting perspective listening to different applications of machine learning and AI and how people are using it in different industries their approaches that they're taking hopefully that's adding value to your career as well so from those three sides hopefully this podcast is giving you value and I'm definitely definitely keen to hear about what other ways it could be helping you in your journey so please keep the feedback coming send me an email from your twitter linkedin facebook instagram i'm trying to put the podcast out there more and more to a ideally help more people and b hear more about your feedback and how we can make this better and more helpful for you so thanks a lot for that now the last point before we jump in to talk about some of the guests that we had in 2018 is that in the last quarter of 2018 you probably noticed that we started getting some sponsors that we've been really excited about so hopefully you're supporting them and they're supporting the show and now we're we'll be opening up to essentially we're looking for more sponsors so if your company or organization is interested to support the show and to get their message across and in front of thousands of data scientists every week and please reach out it can be universities technology companies consulting companies uh, recruiters conferences if you're keen to sponsor this podcast please reach out as an organization and um, if you as an individual are keen to support the show then we just opened a patreon page so it's patreon.com forward slash data futurology and i'll put the link on the show notes we're setting up the the tiers in terms of the podcast sponsorship so let me know if you have any feedback or thoughts around what you would like to see in those tiers and if you're keen and able to support the show through that i would be immensely immensely grateful so thank you very much and now let's jump on to the guests so in 2018, we started Data Futurology in May. So mid-May, I did a presentation at the Data Science Melbourne Meetup. 
on an evening that was around Agile data science. And that was the, I presented on that one alongside two other presenters to about 300 people. And that was the launch of Data Futurology. At that stage, I had three episodes out, uploaded. I'd literally had put those episodes out that same week, all three of them. And that was so when people started going to the site and looking at the podcast, they would see that there was more than just the, the one interview. And the first one was with Dr. Eugene Dubasarsky. He's the chief data scientist at AlphaZeta, and he's a principal trainer at Prescient.com. Prescient is his company. I've known Eugene for many years, and I consider him a good friend. We catch up quite often when he's in Melbourne or when I'm in Sydney, and I have always enjoyed our conversations. I always learn quite a lot from him. I go and I discuss with him a lot of the tough topics and challenges that I go through, and I'm always keen to hear about what he's working on, what he's learning, and how he's implementing those learnings. In that conversation, there was quite a long interview. It ended up being over two hours. So obviously, we cover a lot of ground, but we talk about implementing data literacy in organizations. We talk about what type of questions data scientists should ask their employers when they're looking for jobs. And we get into some interesting and always controversial topics around how easy it is to take an organization through a data science journey, getting people upskilled in how to do it and how does large organizations or established organizations compared to startups and what type of work needs to be done on each in order to progress them along the analytical maturity curve. Definitely some controversial thoughts there from Eugene. He's a person who tells it like it is and he doesn't hold back and he's an expert in the industry and those are all reasons why I always really, really enjoy speaking with him. Very shortly, we're going to be doing a second part, not a second part of that interview, but we're going to have Eugene again on the show. So if you have any questions that you want me to ask Eugene or or any of the other guests, actually. Send them through and I'll start to compile them and see who you would like to have on the show once again. Episode two was with Ben Patterson, who's the head of customer data science at Medibank Private. And I really enjoyed my conversation with Ben. I think that he is very knowledgeable and a top lad. He has a ton of experience in banking, working in the UK and in Australia. And after spending decades in banking across personal consumer finance, insurance, small business, wealth, then he went into Medibank Private, a health insurer where he's been doing very, very interesting work. In the episode, we talk about getting buy-in from stakeholders, how to develop your data scientists, the relationship of data science with technology and the business area, and how to define strategic priorities for your data science team. One of the feedback or some of the feedback that I kept getting about this episode is that people found it really interesting. Uh, Ben's take on how data science should do stakeholder management in the organization and take the organization on the journey towards analytical maturity. And there was a quote that kept popping up again and again by lots of people. And Ben was talking about some feedback that he got from an executive. And the executive said something along the lines of, Ben, I know you and your team, you're smart people. If I give you a problem, I know you'll be able to solve it. That's not what I want. And obviously, as the 
as a scientist, we love solving problems. That's what we get up in the morning. So obviously, unsurprisingly, Ben was thrown back and he's like, what do you mean? What do you mean that's not what you want? You don't want me to solve problems? And the executive said something along the lines of, don't solve the problems by yourself as a team, but don't solve the problems in isolation within data science. You have to solve the problems with other people, with the business. Essentially, what the executive was saying is you have to co-create, take people with, on the journey and make them bring in their perspectives. So then the solution is either much better or people are much more bought into it. And I thought that that was fantastic because I know that in my case for a long time, I valued efficiency of solutions or efficiency of time to solutions much more than buy-in of solutions. And that's something that as you go further in your career, it's something that you have to change. And I found that I had to change that. And so, and I often still struggle to find the balance between getting buy-in and taking my time versus getting to the answer quickly, deploying the solution and moving on. There's definitely a, a balance. And I think that Ben highlighted that really well in during during the interview. And so I really enjoyed my conversation with him and I hope you did too. The next one was episode three with Dr. Jacek Kowalski. He's the chief data scientist at Australian Unity and really impressive guy, Jacek. I see him quite often at conferences here in Melbourne and I always enjoy speaking with him, getting his thoughts and hearing what he's been up to. He's an extremely competent, extremely technical leader and I really like the way he thinks. He thinks differently. He tackles problems that I haven't seen other people tackle and he pushes hard to get value out of data science in interesting and unexpected areas. And I think that he's very well suited to Australian Unity where he is because it's a business that has so many business lines, so many different areas of focus that it's a it's a rich ground for him to create, develop solutions in. The episode we spoke about pragmatic and realistic data science versus teams and sometimes organizations that have data science as an area that is not constantly producing value and not helping make the key decisions in the business or create the, the automation of high volume decisions. So we talk about how to bring data science back into reality. We spoke about the difference between data science for startups and data science for corporates. He spent some time in startups that were eventually acquired and so his views on those differences were very interesting especially i like the his points and his views around resourcefulness of data science teams and developing projects and solutions in a skunkworks manner i thought that that was super interesting sometimes and in some organizations you have to do the work that's being asked of, of you and the team definitely and then sort of your secret developments or secret projects that you're working on that need some cooking time before they get unveiled to the world. He had really good examples where sometimes he had good executive support, sometimes he didn't, and he went through and, and created solutions and solved problems in this skunkworks manner that was very resourceful and not having all of the backing that sometimes people wait for. So I really liked the way that he persevered through those challenges and, and then was able to create good value for those businesses. And we also, during our time together, we also uh, spoke about leadership in analytics, essentially one of the main topics of the podcast, what does it take to be a leader in this space? And we also covered some of his uh, research and papers that he's published, especially around his work in network analytics. Really, really interesting. 
Then in episode four, we had Dr. Sam Karazmi. Sam is the head of data science at Redbubble, which is a, an e-commerce company where designers from anywhere in the world can put up their designs and they are printed on demand onto t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, pillows, laptop cases, anything and everything, postcards, greeting cards. It's a really interesting concept. So they use all of the data science generally applied to e-commerce companies, so product recommendations and things like that. They use all of data science applied to e-commerce companies as they help sort of independent artists through large-scale data science recommendation engines. So I found that as a business really interesting. Sam's been doing excellent work there and he has such a fascinating background. And one of the reasons why I say that Sam has a fascinating background, this is a fact that I really wanted to share with you all at the time of publishing the podcast, but I didn't. I held back and I wanted to share this with you now. Have you ever gone back and looked at where the word algorithm came from? I hadn't until I met Sam. And to be honest, like I hadn't even thought about it. Where did this word that we use all the time in data science, where did it come from? Algorithm. In a conversation with him, I learned that there was a person who died in about the year 850 AD. And he is known as the father of algorithms, the father of algebra. And his name was Muhammad al-Karizmi. And then al-Karizmi was Latinized as algorithm. And it was interesting to find out that Sam has the same surname as the father of algorithms, the, where the, the origin of the word came from. So they both share the surname of this Persian scholar, which I thought was um, incredibly interesting, actually. In my conversation with Sam, we talk about focusing on the product and on users with our data science efforts. And that's something that I think about so often and I've come back to time and time again, that sometimes I see teams and sometimes and often it is data science teams, other times it's data engineering teams, sometimes data visualization or reporting teams. And I find that as data specialists, sometimes we fall in love with the technology and sometimes we fall in love with the engineering or with the new technology and we want to do more work on the technology, do more engineering. And sometimes we lose sight of our customers, our users and the products that we're building for them. And through that process, we end up over-engineering what our users need. And it leads us to having huge delays on our deliverables or getting products into users' hands a lot later than, way, way later than what we could have or should have done. And it's something that in the conversation with Sam, we touch on a few times, uh, especially during his work at startups and something that he's taken into Redbubble. I love seeing teams that apply lean methodologies and in agile methodologies into the data science work. So then users being inside the company or outside of the company, they're getting deliverables every week, ideally multiple times a week, where they're seeing the results of your effort and of your work, and you're getting feedback to see whether and how much value that is creating 
for each department, each team, and each person. That I think is something data science or data teams in general. So visualization, VI, data engineering, and data science. I think it's something that we can all focus more on and finding new and better ways to make our work more accessible more quickly to get feedback sooner and to as we said with the episode with Ben then through that we can co-create solutions with our customers with our users and take them on the journey and we end up having much better response from our users and our customers and they feel listened and valued and together as a wider group we create solutions much better, much better tailored and targeted to the specific problems that we're trying to solve by collaborating and co-creating. So that's something that I would love to see more teams in this space. And for us to share ways in which we can do that, I know that in, in my team, at my work, we've been thinking a lot about how we can do this and what it looks like. So I will have a, a podcast on that later this year. It's definitely something that is, has stuck with me and I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think that we should talk about it more as a community and, and make a concerted effort to provide that value quickly and often. And by both of those, I mean several times a week to our users and our stakeholders. In our talk with Sam, we discussed how data science can add value to company growth at different stages and what it looks like in the early startup and then a startup that has a bit, a bit of traction once they hit product market fit and then as it starts to go into a medium-sized company and growing into a larger company. What value can data science provide in each of those stages and what are the different focuses that we should have as data scientists and to make sure that we're consistently making a difference in the company's journey and then we also spoke about combining people leadership and technology leadership and how to bring those together to create disproportionate value from our teams and from our data science teams by getting people to focus on the right levers that will make the most difference and do that in this sort of small and iterative by organizing our work in, in small and iterative ways and with those two components we can make disproportionate value and punch above above our weight i really enjoyed that conversation with sam that was episode four and then episode five was with dr anthony ray he is the chief data officer at the australian bureau of meteorology and that was extremely fascinating it was the first time that i sat down with a chief data officer at a government agency and to be honest i didn't know what to expect and i was very impressed with Anthony and the work being done at the Bureau there. Some of the things that stuck in my mind is that they have one of the biggest supercomputers in Australia. And the bureaus of meteorology around the world have some of the biggest supercomputers in the world. That the information that they capture and, and process and make available to all of us and they also analyze it. It's obviously extremely important and more and more important as time goes on. And the way that they share that information is fantastic. What I didn't know was the coordination efforts, the global coordination efforts that they undertake on a daily basis with the equivalent agencies from almost every country around the world. These government agencies of meteorology, they're releasing weather balloons 
at the exact same time, multiple times a day, so they can capture data, not only on a consistent basis, but on this coordinated basis, so they can maintain a good record and make that available and share and analyze it. I thought it was extremely, extremely fascinating. In the conversation with Anthony, we also cover the data governance policies required in an organization of this type and how that affects culture and technology. Super interesting what he's doing there. We talk about the International Data Exchange Program of this meteorological data. And then towards the end, we speak about creating machine learning and data steward communities in your organization. And that is fascinating to me because it's such an important component of advancing the maturity, the analytical maturity of your organization in terms of developing these communities within your organization that can specialize and learn further the learning of and ideally the application of those learnings in the organization to increase the analytical maturity and having different levels. As we mentioned, he has a machine learning community and a data steward community. Not everyone that goes into a data steward community can go into a machine learning community and not everyone's going to want to be part of these communities, but they are such key pillars in this maturity and on the journey to analytical maturity that an organization has to take. I found it really fascinating. Not only I love the approach, but also the parallels with corporate and working in either in consulting or in industry. We face exactly the same challenges as government, and we should definitely be sharing more around how we tackle these problems and the solutions that we're coming up with and the results of them, of our, of our efforts. It's yeah, something that I definitely want to do more of this year and something that I would like to see more of in our industry. So I was uh, really impressed with Anthony Ray and the work that at the Bureau of Meteorology, and that was episode number five. Episode six was with Dr. Mark Blakey. He is an ex-managing director of his own technology company, which he started and led for about 20 years, I believe. It was a massive effort. He did that analysis work and productized that analysis work for large banks in both in Australia and internationally and large insurance companies as well, I believe. His client list was impressive. Just a lot of big banks using his technology. And I share another area of interest with Mark that was around the entrepreneurial side. So I found myself asking him lots of questions around that space. Like, how did he do a startup 25 years ago? What did it look like? How did he go around finding customers, developing solutions, starting a team and finding product market fit? the key sort of elements of what today we have as a lean startup. But I remember that when I had my business in the first year or first 18 months, we didn't have lean startup. It hadn't come out yet. And my instincts to do almost the opposite of what is in the lean startup. And therefore, I made a ton of mistakes. In my business, we had an investor from the start. And the advice that we were getting from them was to do the opposite of what it would say, what it eventually said and now says in the lean startup. So we made a ton of mistakes and we wasted so much of our effort, both in mental energy, on our physical efforts, the time of that we worked of um, how long we worked on things that eventually customers didn't want. And we also wasted a lot of money. I had a lot of lessons from those days that I carry with me today and the work that I do in the companies that I help and that I advise or mentor. I'm constantly 
giving this back to people to say, go very lean, work agile, get feedback early, build minimally, focus on validated learning. Some of the things that we spoke about in the episode with Sam and there was definitely topics coming up in the conversation with Mark and I found that his approaches even back then were excellent. That was one of the reasons why he was able to build a successful business and run it for 20 years. So we Besides talking about the intersection of entrepreneurship and data science, we speak about creating small teams that punch above their weight through those lean and agile methods in data science and being really disciplined around them, around implementing them, and um, how we spoke about how to scale data-driven products that use machine learning. Things that are so relevant and important today, it's something that he was doing years and years ago. So super interesting to get his views, and that's all in episode six. Episode 7 was with Sandra Hogan. She's the group head of customer analytics at Origin Energy. And I really enjoyed my conversation with Sandra. I think a fantastic leader. She came from a really technical background and early days of her career, she was telling us in the interview, were extremely technical on the data science and analytics space. I really enjoyed her stories of back then of analyzing data around car accidents in order to make cars and roads safer for people people in Australia, really, really interesting. And that year, as in last year, there was an institution in Australia, which is the Institute of Analytical Professionals of Australia, the IAPA. They ran a ranking of the best analytical leaders in Australia. And Sandra was number two. Like she came second on the list of top 25, which is an amazing achievement. Jessica Kowalski was also in the list and he was also in the top 25. And extremely impressive accomplishment and extremely well deserved i really enjoyed my conversation with sandra and she has so much experience in marketing in the marketing analytics space looking at re-engineering business processes and understanding crm so customer relationship management data in order to drive better customer outcomes and her views around embedding analytical capabilities into business processes to drive the improvements around sales and marketing functions is something that I found really, really fascinating. So definitely go back and listen to that episode if you haven't done so yet. That was episode number seven. Episode eight was a presentation that I did or I should say the presentation that I did when I first launched the podcast. So the one that I was telling you before in this, just a little bit before in this episode. And that presentation was around agile data science. So that is only one of the components that I really like to, I guess, one of the maybe entrepreneurial components or technological components that I like to bring into data science. So two tenets of the way that I like to practice data science is lean and agile. The theme for this evening where I presented was agile data science. So in that one, what you hear in episode eight is the full presentation that I did. The slides are on the website on datafuturology.com forward slash podcast forward slash eight, the number eight. And in that one, I talk about the productivity gains that an individual and a team can gain by using agile methods of project delivery. And it is amazing. I said like mind-blowingly amazing. From memory, there was a study that compared two students or two groups of students where one group was sort of average time that it took them to get an outcome and then the other group 
was the fastest, the people that could get the same outcome as in very high grades in much, much faster time. And there was a ratio of how much did it take, did it take average people versus the fastest people to achieve the same outcome. In the presentation, you'll hear me ask the audience and I gave them four options and multiple choice. The ratio of difference between the average speed of people to get a top mark and the fastest people to get a top mark and it was a one to ten so essentially an order of magnitude difference the fastest people were 10 times faster than the average in order to get the same outcome so the same mark but they could do it in a tenth of the time also applied to software engineers that you often hear about software engineers that are so fast they can do the work of a team just by themselves and those are the top ones that are 10 times faster than others but then more importantly we go on to the difference between teams and that was from an IBM study that showed how much faster were the fastest teams compared to the average teams in terms of project delivery and in the slides and if you hear the podcast again you'll hear me say that then the slides the multiple choice all of them all four options had an order of magnitude increase on the answers so essentially the numbers are much much bigger but the answer there what do you think it is what's what's your guess i'll tell you that the answer there is the fastest teams are two thousand times faster than the average teams it is mind-blowingly amazing how much increase in productivity you can get by applying lean and agile methods to your work as a team and after that i've heard people make the comparisons that a one to two thousand ratio difference means that in that uh the slower team can deliver one project a year and then the faster team will deliver two thousand projects a year which ends up being five and a half projects per day which obviously you have to ramp up to get to that pace but once you're running at that speed the speed of learning and the improvements is amazing you can be delivering up to 2,000 times faster than what your team is delivering at the moment. And that's something that I always um, work a lot with my teams to try to get as close as we can to those numbers. Uh, we also discuss how Agile is imperfect, but very helpful. We cover how I've tweaked Agile to fit data science and deliver that value with my team. And we try to bust some of the main myths around Agile because there's a lot of people that take the waterfall approach, which is a long-term plan that is fixed. So it's static in terms of what you will achieve over time. And there's no new learnings and no reconsiderations going into that plan. They take that sort of waterfall plan and to get to a solution. And then they chunk it down into two-week blocks. And then they say that they're doing agile. But as you're going through the project and getting more learning, you're still shooting for the same outcome and doing it in the exact same way as you planned months and months before. So that is one of the myths that if people chunk down work into two-week increments of suddenly doing agile, but that's not the case at all. You want to be getting the learnings and putting those into the process so you can do a better job. That's what it's about, like being able to, going back to that co-creation that we were talking about before, how do you take people on the journey of creating something new together? So that's a really important point that a lot of people miss and sort of avoid as they're getting into agile and starting from a waterfall background. And today, actually, I saw a really nice tweet 
from a, a woman called Yvette. She put this episode out on her Twitter and um, she was really nice. And her tweet said, this was my favorite podcast of 2018. Being less than perfect may actually deliver more to our stakeholders. That was her quote from the, or her learning from the podcast. Being less than perfect may actually deliver more to our stakeholders. And then she said, my new year's resolution is to be more agile. Yvette, thank you so much. That has had me smiling all weekend, actually. <laughs> I only just saw it. Thank you so much. And and hopefully this helps. And obviously that's the whole reason for doing this podcast, to help people with their careers. And I love seeing tweets like that, seeing people share the learnings that they're getting from the podcast, sharing that with others. And I also love getting the feedback, the direct messages, the emails of people saying how the podcast has helped them in their work and their careers and hopefully to be happier and have a better life, a better working profession. So thank you very much for that. So that was episode eight, talking about agile data science, where that was from me, a presentation that I did. And then we start with the episodes overseas, traveling ones. The first one is um, episode number nine with Matt McDevitt. He's the director of data engineering at Think Big Analytics in Japan, Tokyo, Japan. I recently heard from Matt that he's doing really well and has just moved to McKinsey, actually. So, yeah, congratulations to him. He's very happy with the move. And Matt was such an impressive young lad. He's worked in the UK, in the US, in Europe. And now in Japan, we spoke about big data, about data links and data swamps. We spoke about open source products, data engineering, and, and how data engineering data science work together. I've had a, a lot of people from a data engineering background or people interested in data engineering tell me about how much they've enjoyed that episode. What I found really impressive about Matt is that he was telling me that he started at Think Big Analytics really early on. He was one of the earliest members, and through that, he was able to help the business grow by taking a variety of different roles from sales to scrum master to product owner to data engineer to director of data engineering. He helped Think Big expand within the US and then internationally. He helped them establish offshore engineering capabilities. And through that, he had to be pushing the whole time to get a, a lot of learning and getting people to push themselves, right? Because it's so often that we get comfortable in our work, in our life, in, in anything, and we fall into a pattern of doing things the same way. But to grow a business, you really have to be beyond your comfort zone and pushing yourself into your, what a lot of people say, your learning zone in order to do more and achieve more. Obviously, that means you'll be making mistakes, which is the point of learning and the, the things that we want to cover in this podcast. But it works and, and it's something that we should all strive for. And I saw it so vividly in Matt's story as he was telling us how he went on and helped start, for example, the Think Big Analytics. He started to help start the team in a different city first, in a different state. And when he went to Salt Lake City and then going to New York and going to London and sort of pushing again and again and again, going into new markets. Amazing. I just really enjoyed the conversation and brought so many things together from technology to agile to obviously data engineering, data science. We spoke about GDPR, the general data protection regulation in Europe. We spoke about personally identifiable information or PII and how that can be done in the cloud. We spoke about data lineage and business value and data products. Very interesting conversation. He's a really interesting lad. That was episode number nine. 
I should say episode 9, 10, and 11 were all in Japan. Episode number 10 was with Jonathan Hart. He's the head of data science and analytics at Molenlo Profero. That is a media company, actually. They do ads, and Jonathan is from the US. He's based in Tokyo, Japan. In the episode, he tells us about his journey of working in the US, in UK, in India, and in Japan. He tells us about how to create great data science team and a great culture. And in his case, he had some really interesting challenges where he had a um, decentralized data science team across three or four time zones. And I'm like... How do you even do that? For me, in my career, I've always pushed really, sometimes really hard to get all of the data science team co-located. I want everyone sitting together and sitting as close to the business as possible so you can go and tap people on the shoulder and get their feedback, ask your questions. And in his case, he was having to handle people in at least three different time zones, which I thought was very impressive. Another thing that we talked about that I thought was really good was around using data science in strategic decision making. And that is an area that I find myself thinking more and more about and how it differs to automating high volume decisions. So you can automate the operational decisions and that's a journey that data science can take and it can help improve. But then there's lower volume or single use decisions that are much more important around the future and the direction of companies, countries, organizations. And how do we use data science there? It's so important to do so, to have those analyses around what are the implications of different decisions and how the market can change or competitors or our trading partners or our legislation and how that can affect people. It's a really interesting area and I've been doing more and more work in that space. Jonathan covered it really well and I really enjoyed my conversation with him. I hope you did too. So that was episode 10 and then episode 11, which was the last one in Japan, was with Takaharu Suda. He's a practice director and head of data science, also at Think Big Analytics. So he works with Matt McDevitt from episode 9. And in this episode 11 with Tak, we spoke about a lot of really interesting things that I didn't expect. He was telling me that, for example, in Japan, until a few years ago, there was no statistics degree postgraduate degree the closest thing was around a maths degree and but no no specific statistic focus so he was saying that data science was studied from quite a low base in japan from his perspective and that additionally the japanese word for data science actually means research done from the ivory tower so he was saying that a lot of executive CEOs, high profile business people, they are almost against data science because they obviously don't want research done from an ivory tower within their organizations. And they don't see it as something that can improve their businesses and generate revenues, profits and help the business grow and expand. So he was saying that there, there's a lot of rebranding needed to be done in data science in Japan. I thought it was so interesting. So in this conversation, he also tells us about how he got to where he is. He walked through examples in different Japanese industries and how he went around applying data science across them. Really interesting, really interesting examples. Obviously, the industries that are big in Japan that you can think of, like automotive, and the way that they go about the work is with that Japanese quality and position that they're that they're 
famous for and it's so interesting to see how that comes into life in data science and then he also tells us about the three layers of skills required in data science from his perspective and the importance of technical skills people skills business skills and how they all come together to create data science leaders and great data scientists yeah that was a a great interview and i really enjoyed speaking with him so that was episode 11 and then for episode 12 and again the next three so 12 13 and 14 were all in spain episode 12 was with Alessandro Pregnolato, who is the director of analytics at typeform.com, a really famous and successful company which is based in Barcelona in Spain. It is one of the sweethearts of Silicon Valley and a company who has not as of yet moved and probably no plans to do so in the future. And I actually quite like that, that they were using homegrown talent and there is a lot of data science talent in Spain. And Alessandro was always the director of analytics there. I could have spoken with him all afternoon, all day probably. And he was extremely kind and invited me to his office a couple of days later. And I went in and met the team and had a tour. Yeah, I was really impressed with what they're doing at Typeform. Chat, he told us about his journey, how he got to where he is. What Another point was around the optimal size of a data science team in a business and how he got to a, a proportion, uh, a percentage, which I want to say it's 8 to 10%. So fascinating to have a, a ratio for data scientists versus rest of the organization. We talk about using data science in SaaS businesses and startups because his where he works is a software as a, as a service business. We go through the four pillars of a great data science strategy, a great data strategy, and something that I've gone back to as I have gone into new organizations and having to create or help create their data strategy. Having tenants or pillars has has really helped. And and then we're talking about something that Alessandro and I both share. We feel that we are expert generalists in the data space. And by that, I mean that we have experience in BI, in analytics, in data migrations, in data engineering, or creating data warehouses and data processing pipelines. We've also done work in big data and machine learning. So we've seen a lot of things, but we haven't spend a decade working in one space it's really interesting to have essentially a different skill to that specialist and he covers it quite well another thing that really stuck with me from his conversation was the way that he's taking type form on the journey through analytical maturity and i know that i keep coming back to this because it's such an important point is as more organizations become data driven and actually data driven and what that means and how you win the hearts and minds of the people who work there And in his case, he has become an educator and an evangelist. And we talk about what do you teach people? How do you introduce them to the concept in a way that they can grasp it and bring it into their work and make a difference? And I thought that his answers were really great. And then he talked us through some of the examples that he uses. Then we have episode 13 with Ernesto Bernardo. He's the chief product officer and chief marketing officer at iContainers. And Ernesto was extremely interesting guy. He's somebody who doesn't come from an analytics background. He spent most of his time on product sales and marketing, working in e-commerce. And then he found himself in a position where the company where he was in needed to get into analytics, right? Otherwise, they were going to be left behind. And 
they looked around their executive, they looked through their executives, and they found that Ernesto was probably the most data literate, and he self-described as being extremely not data literate at the time, but much more than the others by comparison. So they made him head of the analytics department. Interestingly enough, he said that at the beginning, he didn't know anything. He didn't know what SQL was, what a query was, ETL. The team had to explain all these things to him. And he learned and he found his way through and he leveraged his understanding of the business and his relationships. He leveraged those assets in order to make a difference with analytics very quickly in his organization, even as he was learning and he spent five or six years as VP of analytics at this company and he said that that helped him propel his career to then become chief product officer and chief marketing officer today just a few years later and that's something that I would like to see much more of and I think that we will see more of in the coming years of people who either spend time in the analytics teams or in the data science teams or more and more over time, people who come from a data science background or an analytical background, if they spend the time learning about business, building the domain expertise, working on their soft skills, I think that that type of data scientist is going to be the next generation of executives in businesses and the leaders in non-for-profits, in government organizations. I think that more and more over time, we'll find that the people with strong analytical skills plus understanding of the organization and soft skills, they're going to be the ones that are going to be leading organizations as a whole. So I was really excited to speak with Ernesto and get his journey around how he went around doing it and how he got to where he is. Yeah, really, really, really interesting. So that was episode 13. And then for episode 14, we had our first medical doctor. So this was uh, Dr. Gabriel Maetsu. He's a medical doctor and a co-founder and chief data scientist at IOMED. And I was really blown away with Gabriel, actually. He started a company to build an AI that helps outpatient clinics or the scheduling in outpatient clinics. I didn't even know what that meant. But what it is, for people that have been in hospital, then they discharged. Some people have to go back to hospital later on for a checkup. Sometimes that's two weeks, that can be three months, six months, but you have to sometimes have to go to a hospital for a checkup down the track. That is the outpatient clinic. Is essentially you're out of the hospital, but you're coming back to the hospital for a checkup after you've been there. And today, the outpatient clinics are the way that the scheduling works is first come, best serve. And if the doctor is really worried about you or you really have to come in after a certain time, the doctor has to go down to the outpatient clinic and get the secretary to squeeze you in three weeks time or four weeks time whenever your checkup should be and obviously that has a quite a big overhead and is very manual so Gabriel's company started to build a scheduler system or has built a scheduler system to do intelligent scheduling based on the notes that the doctors have written from when the patients were in hospital and then the software finds how severe each illness was and how soon they should come back for checkup and then does the scheduling in an intelligent way to not only put you at the right time for the patients but for the doctors they keep 
illnesses of that are similar or related to one another, they put in the same time period as in one after the other. So then the doctor doesn't have to be context switching from seeing sort of heart problems first and then right after it's a lung problem and then a foot problem and sort of anything can come in. You have doctors working more in blocks of time where you might have a morning of heart problems and then an afternoon of lung. So huge amounts of both work and benefit from Iomed in order to do this. At the time, they had just raised some money and they were expanding, which is an amazing success story. But in our conversation, he was telling me about how he got to that point, as in went from medical degree to becoming a data scientist to then becoming an entrepreneur. So he walked us through that journey, which is amazing. And then he told us about his startup and how he's been working at it for years, trying to find who is the best buyer of this technology that from all the different interest groups and stakeholders, he keeps getting told that is is an excellent solution and very needed, but not something that the people that he expected were not willing to put the money down quickly enough, I would say. And he tells us how he he started with by approaching doctors and the doctors didn't have any influence and then he went to the directors of hospitals and that they weren't moving on this front really and then he was quite sort of bummed obviously and sad and desperate and worried for his startup and they started approaching the IT departments in hospitals and that they weren't open to the idea either and I was sort of saying that perseverance And clarity of thought is amazing. And I actually thanked him quite a lot for his work. And then I said, so what did you do? Where did you go next? If none of those worked, I said, I'm out of ideas. I don't know what you would have done. He told me how they cracked the problem, which was going to the companies who were the IT service providers for the IT departments within hospitals. And that then his or their software, IOMED Medical Solutions software, became an add-on of the IT systems bought by hospitals. And that having that channel partner radically transformed the organization and made them profitable and sustainable and was able to get this great solution onto the hands of people that needed it. So I was so impressed with the perseverance, the clarity, the focus, the grit shown by Gabriel and his company. So I really, really wish them all the best in the world and I wish them really, really good luck because those are the type of solutions that we need in the world today. Definitely listen to his story on episode 14. And tell me what you think. I was really impressed. So he was the last guest from Spain in this round. We are going to have more from that part of the world in this year. And then we had uh, Tony Lang. He's based in Brisbane, Australia, and he's the general manager of analytics and data services at Auto in general. And um, Tony is a very senior very interesting, very impressive man. I had seen him present before and we have friends in common. So I knew it was going to be a really great interview, but I didn't expect how well he goes into stakeholder management and cutting through with executives, getting them to understand power of analytics. And we talk about the nuts and bolts of analytics and how to deliver quick wins and strategic projects concurrently. So doing both at the same time, we talk about why there's so much turnover in data science and there was something that he said, which is, I think it's a, it's a great point and something that's really stuck with me. We often hear that 80% of the data scientists work is data cleaning and the majority is between yeah, data cleaning and model preparation. And in that conversation, he goes to me that he goes, that's not true at all. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, if your end game is to produce the model, then yes, you're spending 80% of your time or the majority of your time on data cleaning and data preparation. He said, but that's not where the work of data scientists ends and that's not what we should be aiming for. In reality, we want these models deployed into production and then you see how they go and you have to improve them over time and that productionization component is the biggest component and it's the part that's never mentioned in these estimates. So in his view, data preparation and model building is only 20% of the job. And I was like, I love that. That is so true. So I thought that that was fantastic. He also goes around managing executives and stakeholders, how he deals with them and how he gets them to prioritize their problems in order to tackle them with data science. And he has a great set of questions. One of them is, what is the top three problems that keep you awake at night in your business? And then you address those and really great. He's had an amazing career. Okay, and I really enjoyed my conversation with him. Have a listen and hopefully you do too. So that was episode 15 and episode 16. It's with Apollo Gerolimbos. He's the head of data analytics at the London Fire Brigade. How cool is that? How interesting. So Apollo is Greek by background and he had a very personal close encounter with some devastating fires in Athens and it made him want to volunteer as a firefighter and he worked in the analytics space and by keeping an eye out and and partially by luck he says he found a job ad the london fire brigade he was living in london at the time and he found an ad that the london fire brigade were looking for an insights manager i think it was at the time and he applied and got it and combined his passion and his professional life and very quickly rose to head of analytics what an amazing story. I loved it. I totally loved it. And through the conversation, he tells us about the applications of data science in firefighting and things like how they find through government data and open source data, how they find houses that are most likely to have a fire this year. And then out of the millions of houses in London, I think it was like five and a half million, I believe that they visit about 80,000 a year and they have to pick the 80,000 with the highest propensity of to have a fire this year. And he told us about how they go about doing that. Just amazing. Totally, totally amazing. As a continuation of that, he told us how they use that data and that analysis in order to go and do fire safety teaching at schools and not the schools of in the areas that are likely to have lots of fires, but the schools that have attendance, as in the children from the areas that have the highest likelihood of fires this year. And I thought that was fantastic. So they're really hitting it from all angles. And then another interesting approach that they have, which is something that has stuck with me, is that the importance of identifying bottlenecks and weak points in the availability of your service. How interesting. So in their case, they're looking at the responses to fires and how the scheduling, the timetable, the rostering of people, how that works and the points at which you have the highest, not risk of fires, but essentially the lowest availability of service if there was a fire to happen at this exact time. So what is those points of the perfect storm? You know, when you can have a number of things goes wrong at the same time and it leads to disastrous event. So Apollo and his team have looked at what are some of those factors that could have a really bad impact 
on uh, the lives of the people of London and they've gone to improve those weak points found through data science and the analytical analysis. And I thought it was awesome and definitely something I could carry on to other industries. So really impressive. That was episode 16, one of the ones in London. And then the next one, episode 17, also in London with Naomi Clark, who is um, head of data in the finance sector. And Naomi's had a fantastic career. She started in BP, very, very technical. And she spent a lot of our conversation. We talk about business data architecture and business data modeling, data governance, and topics that are so important to data science and more and more important in today's world, but that have fallen sort of out of fashion. They're not as sexy anymore as topics. And she just brings them to life in such a great way. And I also love the human-centered perspective that she's taken to her work. And she covers like really great ground in that conversation, like the difference between a logical and a physical data model. Which one is more important? What goes in each? We talk about the disruptions in the financial sector that happened obviously quite quickly during the GFC. And we also cover why a data analytics start with the business question that you're trying to answer that you start with a business problem not at any other point that people might tell you you need to be application focused and have that focus yeah it's a really interesting conversation and i really enjoyed it and i hope you do as well that was episode 17 and then the next one which is also in london is with dr ahmed kamasi He's the vice president of data science at Equinor, and he worked at siemens research at google paypal sas JP Morgan, super impressive guy. He started doing work and his, his sort of research background is in simulations. And then he got into data science. And we talk about the uses of simulation and deep reinforcement learning models in the energy industry. The work that he's doing is really impressive and cutting edge. And one of the things that stuck with me from my conversation with Ahmed was how he was able to structure his work internally and also position it in the marketplace in order to attract top talent to the oil and gas industry an area where like people traditionally wouldn't think of as high tech or it's no google or facebook amazon or linkedin or microsoft and yet he has focused on creating data products with his teams and driving real change through them in his organization and definitely there at equinor and it is very impressive cutting edge for resource industries and making the best of these engineering heavy established companies and something that we can all learn a lot from we also talk about bringing the startup mentality into a traditional business and uh, creating teams that punch about their weight just that are extremely productive yeah really good conversation and that was episode 18 boost your data science career with skills that count james cook university's 100 online master of data science is one of australia's fastest study while you work and focus on just one subject at a time visit online.jcu.edu.au for more information. As data scientists, we're always looking for ways to gather more data and to understand our customers better. Firebox do just that. With Firebox, you can easily create a quiz for your app, website, or blog. These quizzes are used to generate leads, educate, or engage your customers. Check them out today. That's Firebox with a Y, so F-Y-R-E-B-O-X.com. 
that brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.